Jesus, when we sing that, when we sing, you can have it all, Lord, take this heart. That means we love you. Jesus, we just love you so much. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you when it's easy to give you our heart. And Jesus, we love you when it's hard to give you our heart. Thank you that we get to love you in the hard things. And we get to choose you when it's not easy. We love you. And when all of our emotions are raging and and we want to go the opposite way, we can know that you have our heart. That you have our heart, King Jesus. You're the king of my heart, King Jesus. Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your heart? You're the king of my heart, Jesus. Your anointing is your love. Your anointing is your yes. This morning we're going to talk about the cross. And we're going to talk about love and about what love purchased for us in a way that uh, you may not be expecting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Are you ready to hear from King Jesus this morning? Thank you, Lord. This morning I'm going to talk about something that Jesus purchased for us on the cross and something he wants to lift us out of. And that is, that is poverty. So we're just going to dive right in and we're going to talk about poverty. All right. You can go ahead and start Noah. So let's just start out with the definition of poverty. Poverty is a lot more than a lack of money. Poverty is perpetual lack, a consistent state of not having enough. So people who are in poverty are not having their needs met. They're either not receiving or earning what they need, or they are rejecting provision, or they are not stewarding their resources in a way that sufficiently meets their needs. So there's different types of poverty. Um, Traditionally, we think about poverty as being a lack of money or a lack of material possessions, but there's actually several different kinds. Uh, The first one is physical poverty. So if you're in physical poverty, you may not have sickness or pain in your body. 
Um, there's emotional poverty. So it may be depression or a lack of joy. There's spiritual poverty. Um, so maybe your spirit is starved for the sustenance of the word, or maybe you're experiencing spiritual bondage of some sort. And there's relational poverty. Uh, for instance, maybe your relationships are hindered by offense, or maybe you have a lack of meaningful relationships in your life, or you have patterns of consistent loneliness. And then, of course, financial poverty is the traditional view of poverty, which is a lack of sufficient finances or material possessions to meet your needs. And those are just to name a few. So we're going to get into exactly what poverty means. And basically, the basis of poverty is a lack of what Jesus purchased on the cross, that we're not walking in the fullness of of what he has for us. Okay, so the next thing is a poverty mindset. A poverty mindset is a way of thinking that is contrary to and resist the reality of Father God's abundance. So this mindset masquerades as humility, but in reality, it is a rejection of grace. For example, you may say, I don't deserve a good marriage because of what I've done in my past. But what does the cross say? The cross says you are forgiven and redeemed, and his plans for you are for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Or you may say on the physical side, "Um, I don't need a nice car. But if God wanted to give you a nice car, would you accept it? Do you believe he's a good father who wants to bless his kids? Yes, I do. (laughs) A poverty mindset rejects what God wants to give us and accepts less than his best. So what in the world does poverty have to do with out of the ashes arise? Well, uh, in Psalms 113, 7 through 9, I was actually reading through this in bed one night. Uh, just wasn't even thinking about it, you know, just reading through it. And out loud, I went, oh, my goodness. Startled my husband. He's like, what are you doing? And I couldn't believe this verse is amazing. It perfectly connects poverty with out of the ashes. Okay, it says, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children, Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So there's a higher place that he wants to lift us from a seat in the dust to a seat with princes. Okay, so this is all part of the beautiful exchange. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says, You know about the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, yet for your sake. Everyone say, for for my sake. He became poor in order to make you rich through his poverty. Talk about an exchange. So so here's this verse with the Greek definitions included. I went and looked up a few definitions, and those are in the brackets here. Okay, so it says, you know about the grace. That word sounds familiar, right? You know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, which means wealthy, abounding in material resources, Christian virtues, and eternal possessions. Yet for your sake, everyone say, for my sake. He became poor, a beggar, destitute of riches and abundance, in order to make you rich, having abundance, richly supplied, affluent in the resources of blessing and salvation through his poverty. So what level of rich are we talking about here? We're talking son of God, ruler and creator of all things, lacking nothing, needing nothing, eternal and endless, abundant in every realm, fully complete. That's the riches of Jesus. So if Jesus laid down that level of riches and took on your poverty, 
in order to make you rich, consider the level of his riches that he is offering you in this exchange. So he is cheerfully and lavishly generous. He gave his precious life so that you could experience his riches. He did this for your sake, for your benefit. So there must be a reason. This tells me that it is fully God's will and intention for us to come up out of poverty. So poverty came in as a result of sin. It is part of the threefold curse we experienced at the fall of man, which is poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. But Jesus redeemed us from the curse. Woohoo! <laughs> so we see that in Galatians 3.13. It says Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Wow. Do you remember the scripture that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That is what happened when Jesus was nailed on the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. That's us, right? Unless you're a Jew. All right. (laughs) So we are all able to receive God's life, his spirit in us by believing just the way Abraham received it, which was... By faith, right. So Abraham's blessing is present and available for me and for you. So I am able to receive it by believing by faith. So Jesus died to give me the gift of riches in every area of my life, complete wholeness in my spirit, soul, and body, in every part of my person. Now that I know this, I do not want to hold on to poverty in any way. I want to arise out of the dust of poverty into the riches of King Jesus. So how do I come up out of poverty and fully receive Jesus's exchange? So we just read that uh, God's life and Abraham's blessing is available by faith. So how do I exchange my faith to receive the fullness of that promise? Well, in prayer one day, I was praying with a few ladies and we were praying about, were we praying about testimony or poverty? I don't remember, but the answer came and the answer is testimony. And so that is what we're triumphing today. So let's talk about testimony. The definition of testimony is a formal or written uh, spoken agreement or statement, excuse me, especially one given in the court of law. Synonyms are evidence, a sworn statement, and affidavit. Evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something, a public recounting of a religious conversion or experience. So the first one, the first couple definitions are kind of like the court of law idea. The last one is the one that we know in church, right? So in sharing a testimony. Okay, so evidence, that really stuck out to me, that synonym of evidence. And that made me think of Hebrews 11.1, which says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I had this thought, could we also say, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the testimony of things not seen. So the Greek word for evidence in Hebrews 11.1 means a proof, that by which a thing is proved or tested or a conviction. So I want testimony to be my constant conviction my firm belief and persuasion, no matter what. So combined with faith, our testimony can be a declaration of the good things God wants to do, even before we see it. It can be that declaring those things that are not as though they are now. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. So verse 2 of Hebrews 11 says, "For For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So the word testimony or report here is the verb martreo, meaning to be a witness, to bear witness, 
to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something, often by divine revelation or inspiration. So there's a second Greek word translated as testimony from the New Testament, and it's very similar, martria, meaning a testifying, one that testifies before a judge. So this matches the dictionary definition of a formal or written spoken statement, especially one given in a court of law. So let's talk about a court of law. So Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, which comes from Revelation 12. So in verses 7 through 10, it says, And war broke out in heaven, Michael the archangel and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they were not strong enough and did not prevail. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan. He who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom, the dominion and reign of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters has been thrown down at last. He who accuses them and keeps bringing charges of their sinful behavior against them before our God day and night. And guess what it says next? It says, and they overcame and conquered him, the accuser, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. For they did not love their life and renounce their faith, even when faced with death. Woo. So in the courts of heaven, this is the picture that I get from those verses. In the courts of heaven, the accuser continually testifies against us before God the judge on the basis of sin. But Jesus, our great high priest, continually testifies mercy for us on the basis of his blood. Woo! That is awesome. So Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 says... But you have come, this is another picture of what's happening in the heavenly realms, okay? But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels and festive gathering. And to the general assembly and the assembly of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven. And to God who is judge of all, right? We just talked about the God is sitting on the throne as judge. So this is the picture that's going on in heaven. And to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect, bringing them to their final glory and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, uniting God and man and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, which cried out for vengeance. So Satan's testimony against us is on the basis of sin. Jesus's testimony for us is on the basis of grace. Woo. That's awesome. So our accuser conquering, overcoming testimony is an agreement with the purchased redemption of Jesus. So every day I have a continual choice to agree either with the accuser or with Jesus. Poverty, because it is a consequence of sin, is experienced as a result of habitual agreement with the accuser, whether it is an intentional partnership or one made unknowingly out of ignorance. From the garden until now, the deceiving serpent has attempted to rob us of God's best by swindling our agreement. But victory is simply in our yes of agreement to Jesus' testimony of triumph. It is impossible for any area of my life that is fully under the influence of the cross to experience poverty or lack. 
The cross purchased wholeness, healing, and provision in every area of my life. I engage my faith until my circumstances align with this truth that is already a reality in the spirit realm. Of course, there is no condemnation for the areas where you haven't yet experienced the fullness of salvation. It is a process. And God is patient, gentle, and delights in the process because it is walked out in loving relationship between you and him. So Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So the transformation of your mindset is the process of arising into redemption. Salvation has been accomplished and Jesus is lifting us into a greater awareness of what he has already purchased. Part of this process of arising includes choosing testimony. So a testimony mindset will break a poverty mindset. Poverty ignores and denies testimony. It focuses on lack and rejects the hope of recovery. Poverty is perpetual lack that worships circumstance. In contrast, testimony breaks poverty. It turns our focus to the God of abundance and always celebrates the hope he promises. Testimony is a declaration of provision, speaking of what God has done. Testimony is an act of worship because it sets our gaze on Jesus. Testimony also inspires exuberant praise as it sets his word as the basis of our celebration. We overcome triumph by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Testimony is much more than sharing a story in the mic on Sunday morning. It is an attitude of the heart. Testimony is a culture of common focus on the endless breadth of God's goodness. Even if you don't have a testimony experience yet, God's word itself is a testimony that God can and wants to do the impossible in your life. The word grounds your heart in testimony and sets your attitude and expectation on the hope Jesus has called you to. Testimony not only breaks poverty, it also brings in the harvest and was one of Jesus' evangelistic commands. In Luke 8, 26-36, Jesus delivered a man from many demons, legion, and sent the demons into the pigs. Afterwards, verse 38-39 through 39 says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This tells me that testimony is not meant to stay inside the church. This freed man wanted to stay with Jesus and his disciples, which to me can represent staying in ministry within the church. But Jesus told him to go out and evangelize. How? Very simply, return home and tell how much God has done for you. This also provides a wonderfully simple answer to the question, so what is a testimony? Jesus' description, telling what God has done for you. A testimony is the story of his truth colliding with your facts and the resulting atmospheric shift of victory that settles in. God's will was manifested in your life and the abundance he desires becomes a reality. In turn, the words of the legionless man spoke as he went out in obedience to Jesus' commission, declared what God had done in his life, and prophesied the freedom of many other people. It was the glorious shout of, this is what Jesus has done in my life, and he wants to do it for you too. So this culture of testimony will free us from poverty as it shifts us to a kingdom mindset. Testimony declares God's will for abundance, spirit, soul, and body. And partnering with faith can even declare those things that are not as though they are, resulting in the manifestation of the promise. If you have not yet experienced the testimony, 
The word of truth is the testimony you can declare in faith until you experience the breakthrough. So if you need something in your life, ask the Holy Spirit to provide a promise for you in the word, because it's all there. It's all provided in the word. And then stand on that promise as your testimony and declare it. So if, if you're needing finances in your, in your life, your testimony can be, God provides all of my needs. I am richly and abundantly provided. That is the testimony. That is your heart focus and the attitude of your heart, no matter what your circumstances are saying, and that is faith. That is faith that you declare that testimony until it comes to pass, until you have that provision in your hand. Okay, so affecting far more than finances, the curse of poverty cries out lack in our health, homes, and soul. But the triumph of testimony shouts victory into every area of our lives. Jesus accomplished sozo salvation on the cross, which means nothing missing, nothing broken, no poverty, sickness, nor spiritual death. In Jesus, we experience the wonderful exchange and a hard expression of our good, good, abundantly generous Father God. When we allow testimony to shift our perspective, we can engage our faith in the right thing. Okay, so I have some um, contrast of poverty and testimony. This is in your booklets, by the way, so you don't have to write it all down. So poverty focuses on lack. Testimony focuses on God's abundance. Poverty exalts circumstance. Testimony exalts truth. Poverty hides from solutions. Testimony celebrates solutions. Poverty rejects hope. Testimony fuels hope. Poverty corrupts identity. Testimony tells of true identity. Poverty consumes the storehouse. Testimony multiplies the storehouse. Poverty pushes you lower. Testimony lifts you higher. Poverty breeds shame. Testimony redeems shame. Poverty talks about what God didn't do. Testimony talks about what God has done. Poverty blames God. Testimony fames God. Poverty sulks in depression, testimony dances in joy. So poverty and testimony can be in the same situation, but their different attitudes will produce different outcomes. Both mindsets produce an expectation. The difference is where am I putting my expectation? Am I expecting to be consumed by poverty or am I expecting to be blessed by testimony? My confident expectations are faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So where am I putting my focus? My mindset is directing my expectation. Okay, here's some more uh, contrasting. Poverty robs testimony. Testimony, it, or sorry, poverty robs destiny. Testimony is destiny. Poverty is life without Jesus. Testimony is life with Jesus. Poverty denies hope. Testimony supplies hope. Poverty fears. Testimony trusts. Poverty's mouth aligns with lies. Testimony's mouth aligns with truth. Poverty's mind is controlled by darkness. Testimony's mind is flooded with light. Poverty is perpetual anxiety. Testimony is perpetual peace. Poverty selfishly hoards. Testimony generously gives. Poverty never has enough. Testimony receives more than enough. Poverty is a thief. Testimony is a giver. Poverty believes the father is finite. 
testimony believes the Father is eternal. Poverty robs destiny because it minimizes what is possible by reducing our plans to the confinement of human ability. Testimony exalts the God of impossibility as the poet of our process who designed a jaw-dropping destiny that only he can accomplish through us. Poverty suffocates love by turning our eyes inward. Testimony cultivates love by turning our eyes outward. Poverty focuses on personal need, falling into a selfish cycle of self-protection and fear-based stockpiling. But testimony surrenders personal need, falling peacefully into the protecting and providing arms of Father God. Poverty breeds jealousy as it believes the lie that if someone else gets what I want, then there won't be enough for me. Poverty believes God's supply is limited. Testimony fuels celebration as it believes the truth that if God worked a miracle for them, he wants to do one for me too. Testimony believes God's supply is unlimited. So with that hope, I can truly celebrate every victory. So I just want to expound a little bit on the topic of jealousy because uh, jealousy a lot of times comes out of a poverty mindset and can be a a really strong emotion um, that comes out of that. So let's just talk about jealousy really quick. So jealousy comes out of a poverty mindset. Jealousy is when you feel someone has stolen what belongs to you, or they believe something, or, or you believe that they've been giving something that's rightfully yours. So if I'm believing God for a car, and I see someone else get given a car, poverty will say, that car's mine, and there's no more left for me, so I'm going to feel jealous, right? Testimony is going to say, that car is theirs, and mine is coming. Because God is endless, right? Okay, so there's several places in the word that we read that God is a jealous God. This is written in the context of idol worship or spiritual adultery, which is defined as giving worship that is due to God to an idol or another person. Right, so it's that concept of thinking something that was rightfully yours was stolen, okay? So that's the God kind of jealousy. Um, But how can God be jealous? Isn't jealousy a bad thing? We know God is perfect and sinless, so there must be a righteous form of jealousy. Our emotions come from God, but they have to be subject to the transformational process of the word, that continual saving of our souls, which is Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is a process. So but before that transformational process is worked out in us, jealousy can be a rampant negative emotion that feeds on poverty's lies. So a jealous poverty mindset says, If this person gets what I'm believing God for, then it must be mine and there's no more, so I will never get mine. But is God a God of lack? No, not at all. He's a God of abundance. Jealousy comes out of that belief that God does not have enough to provide for them and me too. Jealousy believes that God and his resources are finite, that God's gift bag is endless. So, um... We did this little thing with our girls. Um, I have two stepdaughters, and uh, they were, they're really close in age. They're about two years apart. So you can imagine jealousy happens quite a bit. <laughs> and, um, but we did this little thing I feel like the Holy Spirit gave us with the girls. And so we sat them down in the living room, and we're like, we're going to do a fun little illustration for you guys, okay? And uh, they're like, okay, this will be fun. And so, so I had this gift bag. And I had written down a bunch of things where they had been celebrated. Um, so like Anna had um, 
that she gets to go to the middle school and she had won student of the month and like all these different things. And then Laylee um, was getting to do gymnastics and she uh, won a bike at school. That was awesome. They gave her a bike. And so I had this whole stack of cool things that they'd each gotten and I had them in, in my bag. So I sat down and I had some like money in there and candy and stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give you guys something. So I gave Anna one thing. She's like, oh, cool. This is so cool. Thank you. I gave Laylee something else. She's like, oh, yeah. And started handing out, like, the, the little cards. And like, oh, I remember this. This was so awesome, you know. And they're like, oh, yeah, this was fun. And, and it was their birthday parties and, like, all this stuff. Well, then as, uh, then all of a sudden I started handing Laylee, just kept handing Laylee stuff. Just kept, kept handing Laylee candy and all this stuff. And it was skipping Anna's turn. You know, Anna was like, you, you miss me, you know. <laughs> and then while I was doing that, my husband reached around and pulled away the stuff that was in front of her. So when she turned back and looked, her stuff was gone. So what that illustrated was, we can get so focused on what other people have that we miss what God is doing in our life, and the enemy can come and steal the joy of that. So, so that, that, that uh, settled pretty good with them. And I was like, Anna, don't you know, I was handing Laylee like six things. I was about to hand you like six things. You know, like it was just the timing was different, right? But I told them God's gift bag is endless. My gift bag has an end, but not God's. He is always, always, always celebrating you. Always handing out candy and money to his daughters that he loves. <laughs> Amen. So, um, so jealousy really is an entire multi-part message in itself. Um, but I just want to briefly touch on one aspect of jealousy, and that's timing. So sometimes when a person gets something before you do, particularly something you desire, and that you've been believing God for, it's a timing issue. Here's some practical truths about timing to help as you choose to trust God through jealous moments. So the first thing is premature birth. So if I give birth prematurely, it requires artificial life support to keep that baby alive, rather than God's life sustaining him. The baby is not yet developed to live on his own. So when babies of ministry or promotion or a business or a promise you have from God our birth in God's perfect timing, God's life-giving breath sustains it so that you can enjoy and rest in what God has created. Premature birth does not only affect you, it takes a whole team of people working to keep that premature baby alive. So it is definitely worth it to wait on God's timing. Okay, the second one is let God put you there. So if you put yourself in a position, you will have to keep yourself there. If God puts you in a position, he keeps you there. So you can rest knowing God will keep you there however long is best. If you are striving to maintain a position that you put yourself in, fear, striving, and jealousy are heightened because it is dependent on your strength and not on God's. The fear of being replaced takes over rather than a rest in God's perfect plan. Trust in God even before you receive or walk in what you're believing him for. The next one is God is not slow, he's patient. 
<laughs> so Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this is in the context of Christ's return and his promise to come back. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But Holy Spirit showed me this verse in relation to the promises that he's given me. The contrast is slow and patient. There's a difference. Slow is like waiting uh, just for the make, sake of making me wait. Like a maniacal hanging something in front of me just out of reach. <laughs> that didn't sound like God, right? But patience comes out of mercy. He does not want any part of my heart to perish, but for all of my heart to come into his salvation. Repentance simply means to turn to God. So God is willing to wait for me to turn my heart fully to him. So when I give God access to my whole heart, he heals. Because where he has access, he heals. You can make what you want happen. But remember, it is God's mercy exhibited in his patience. I want to choose his best, even if it means I have to wait. So an example of this, the first one, actually, when God first spoke this to me, was uh, waiting to get married. Um, so I was seeing people around me, people younger than me, getting married, and I was like, waiting, you know. And I was like, what's going on? But God said, I'm not slow, I'm patient. Because he knew there was stuff in my heart that still needed to be worked out before I could walk in beauty and fullness in the thing that I wanted. And so when, as his word did that perfect work in my life, over time, it took several years, <laughs> then I was able, then I was ready. And, and once I, I stepped into marriage and enjoying it, and it's wonderful, I realized, it wasn't until then that I fully realized, wow, I couldn't have done this several years ago. You know, I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have had the maturity that I needed. I wouldn't have known God in the way that I needed to, to be able to be successful in this. So it's his, his mercy and his patience. So another example, um, I heard about this couple in ministry who they desired to, to go on the mission field for years and years and years. They believed God for that. And they were like, man, why is this taking so long? Well, finally it happened and it was God's timing. And when they got there, they realized, wow, we are just now ready. Another example is what I learned. Um, right now I'm the creative director here and I uh, do graphic design and stuff for a little small business. And so what I learned in previous jobs and in college prepared me for what I'm doing now. That I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now with the excellence that I would want if I hadn't walked through that process. And that whole time through college, through the screen print shop, all of it, my heart wanted so badly to be here. I just craved it. I knew I was called to do this, and I wanted it so bad. But God had to walk me through that process, and I'm so glad that he did. Because I would not be able to do this today if I hadn't walked through that process. Okay, the last thing on uh, timing and jealousy is trust. We, ha we also have to trust God enough that if we never get what we thought we wanted, I'm going to say that again. We have to trust God enough that if we never get what we thought we wanted, we know that God has our best interest in mind. And maybe it wasn't the best thing for me after all. Will you trust God enough with the desires of your heart that when you delight in him, he'll give you those desires of your heart. 
as you delight in him and turn your face to him and he changes you, you become more and more like him and your desires align with his desires. So maybe something that you're desiring hasn't yet aligned with his desires. Do you trust him in that? Will you trust him to work in you, to align your desires, and that someday, if it is him, that he'll give it to you in this beautiful, wonderful, perfect timing package? So if it's not God's will, I really don't want it anyway. God is always right, even when we don't agree with him. So when I shift my mindset, I will know that if my friend gets the car, then that's their car and mine is coming. It's just not the right time for mine. God's timing is perfect. So one more note on jealousy in relation to poverty. If you are in poverty, you may often be jealous of those who have more than you do. The attitude of jealousy robs your ability to celebrate the victories of rich people. But rich people in your life should not be a point of jealousy, but a call into testimony. It should be a spark of hope of what God wants to do in your life. The father is saying, look, do you see what I've done in their life? I want to do that and more in yours. Okay, so what does it look like to choose testimony? We need some practical stuff, right? So um, probably about a week after uh, the Lord just like downloaded the poverty testimony thing to me, I was like, this revelation is awesome. It's so cool. He's like, okay, let's try it out. And uh, (laughs) that usually happens. So (laughs) So, um, this story is about my dog, Luke. Isn't he adorable? I love him so much. He's a big, lovable lab. So uh, this is a testimony dog right here. Um. So we, we got Luke when he was about a year old, and um, when we first got him, he's a great, great dog, but when we first got him, he was Houdini. Um, so my husband tried so many ways to keep him locked up while we were gone, because we live right next to the highway, and we didn't want him to run off. We tried chains and fences and rocks around and double chains and all this stuff. Somehow, the dog always got out. I don't know how. <laughs> Well, one day, I get a call from Omid, and he had got a phone call from somebody on the side of the road, and they said, your dog has been hit. Oh, (laughs) and I was like, no. (laughs) Thankfully, I was actually driving back from Oklahoma City at the time, so I was able to just jog over and stop, and and he couldn't stand up at all. And so we took him to the vet, and the vet took x-rays and stuff, and they gave us really a hopeless report. Um, They said that either you can do about $3,000 worth of surgery, um, or put him down, or take him home and hope he gets better, but probably he'll probably never be okay, because both of his hips were broken. Both sides were broken. And for labs, you know, the hips can be sort of an area, you know. And uh, so anyways, hopeless situation, I'm crying in the vet, you know. I'm like, I love our dog so much. And because uh, we didn't have $3,000 to spend on the dog. And uh, so anyways, we go home, and... Uh, I'm like, you know what? Maybe God wants to heal our dog. <laughs> Doesn't that sound crazy? God wants to heal our dog. And so I like Google testimonies of dogs being healed. <laughs> and I found some. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God does want to heal a dog. So there was testimony there. So I knew God wanted to do it. So I was like, okay. And I got with my husband and we laid hands on the dog and we prayed for him. 
We did that for several days. He couldn't stand up by himself. We had to like walk him outside to use the bathroom. Completely miserable. About a week later, the dog is laying out in the yard. He's been just laying there helpless for a week. I look over there. The dog is walking across the lawn. I'm like, whoa, he's walking. So, and from that point, gradually he got healed till now he's completely normal. You would never know. He doesn't even limp. You would never know. Yeah. So number one, that's amazing because God cares about our pets. He delights in every detail of our lives, right? The things that our heart care about, he cares about, even if it's a dog, you know? And so, so Luke is a testimony dog. That was about a year and a half ago or so. So back up just maybe three months ago, a month, I don't know, not very long ago. Um, I get home really late, and I go to let Luke off of his chain. He's no more Houdini. We got it taken care of. Um, I go to let him off his chain. Usually he'll sit for you really nicely, unhook it, and then he'll run off and, and stuff and go in the house. And so... I unhook his chain, and he's just sitting there, and he doesn't move at all. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. It's pitch black. So I take the girls inside to come back and get my flashlight. And Luke's sitting there, and he has, like, foam just, like, billowing out of his mouth. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I go get a mead, come back. He's, and then the dog is thrown up, and he's, like, laying there and breathing super heavy. Like, he looks like he's about to die. And we're like, what in the world is going on? And uh, my husband's like, I think we need to take him to the vet. Of course, it's like midnight by this point. And I'm just thinking, cha-ching, 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 you know. But uh, it, it was like really bad. He was going to die if we didn't. So we took him to the vet. They take x-rays. And uh, this is where it gets funny. So they found this bone, this piece of bone in there. He had swallowed a bone. My husband had given him some deer meat to eat. He swallowed this bone, and the vet said it was super sharp. If we don't do surgery, it's going to pass and slice him open and he's going to die. So <laughs> so we're driving home and I'm hearing all this news because I was out front with the girls the whole time. And uh, so we're driving home and I'm getting angry. And I'm like, why did you give him the deer meat? <laughs> why can't the dog chew his food? <laughs> for the, the vet and everything. And I'm like, this is terrible. This is so terrible. We don't have $500 for the vet right now. And so we get home, and we sit on the couch, and we're just absorbing the situation. And all of a sudden, poverty versus testimony comes flooding into my consciousness. And I'm like, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a time of poverty. <laughs> Let me just swim in it for a sec. There is dog vomit everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so finally, my spirit is like, okay, why don't you go ahead and do this? I'm like, okay. Poverty was telling me, and I wrote down my notes here. Poverty was telling me, there goes your vacation. Um, how will we have enough for this month? What if Luke doesn't get well and he dies after all? But testimony said, remember do you remember that God already healed Luke once? He, provi- he proved that he even cares for our animals. And I know he wants to do it again. God can provide an even better vacation than I imagined, providing abundantly more in seconds than what we could have worked to save up for in years. 
God will provide in every way and Luke will be healed and will be even better than before. What a contrast, right? So, so we prayed and I forgave thoroughly. <laughs> forgave my dad for giving us the deer meat. Um, forgave Omid for feeding the deer meat. Forgave the dog for not chewing. <laughs> forgave myself for getting angry. <laughs> forgave the bet. No, just kidding. <laughs> and, um, and we said, God, we believe testimony. We believe that you've done this before and you want to do it again. And so we speak healing into Luke's body right now that what you accomplished on the cross is complete wholeness in our entire lives, our entire lives. So that was um, Saturday night, I think. So, so he, uh, Luke had to stay at the vet overnight. Monday, Omid calls me from work. And he says, the vet just called. And they said, we don't know what happened, but we took another x-ray and that bone is completely gone. <laughs> They're like, we can't find it. And it's only going to be about 300 and some dollars. Part two was we had done some work on our rent house that month. Our rent was dropped by about $300. The entire thing was paid for. So, if I would have chosen poverty, if I would have chosen poverty, I would have received poverty's reward. But choosing testimony allows God to work as I align my faith with what he wants to do. Amen. So I had another uh, example. Are we okay on time? Okay. There's no timer, so I'm free. Okay. <laughs> so I had another example. Um, just recently, I had a, a difficult situation with a really good friend where I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking me to speak some truth into her life that would not be very easy. Has anyone ever done that before? Um, I was so afraid, but I knew that it was the Holy Spirit, and I knew that it would mean freedom for her. Um, and so I did it, and it turned out pretty rocky, honestly. Um, and the situation lasted for probably a week, week and a half or two. And during that time, poverty was telling me, um, you're going to lose one of your good friends. Poverty was telling me, they can't trust you anymore now. And poverty was telling me, you've totally blown it. Testimony was saying, no, do you remember? Remember when people did that for you? And they spoke truth into your life. Remember the victory that it brought to you? Remember that those hard conversations were the life-saving moments in your life? Uh, Poverty was saying, no, actually they can trust you more now because you're willing to speak the truth when it was hard. And poverty was, or testimony was saying, no, your relationship's going to be even better now because you're able to go this deep and speak truth when it was hard. And so um, the situation actually turned out good, I think. And I just had to, (laughs) but I had to choose testimony because those thoughts were still coming, but I had to make a conscious decision to to align my heart with testimony, to agree with Jesus, not with the accuser, 
but to agree with what Jesus was saying. So in both of these situations, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, remember, remember what I did last time. Testimony is about remembering what God has done. This stirs our heart and mind to remember his good character and faithfulness. We can always know he wants to do it again. Okay, so how do I choose testimony? Let's look at just some practical things on how to build a testimony mindset. So first is identify areas of poverty and testimony in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. So like he did with Luke, he showed me what was poverty and what was testimony so I could choose testimony in that moment and to pray into it. Okay, second is think testimony. Align your thoughts with testimony, allowing your mind to be transformed by the word. Think testimony. I like something Joyce Meyer says. She says, where the mind goes, the man follows. I really like that. So we have to think testimony so that our actions will produce testimony's results. Number three is speak testimony. So align your words with testimony, saying only what the Father is saying about your situation and the people in it. This is what Jesus did in John 5.19 and 8, uh, John 8.28. You can find that. So, so we know that Jesus only spoke what he heard the Father was saying, right? So speaking testimony is speaking what the Father is saying, because he's always filled with hope. And so with God, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Lisa talked about this last night a little bit. Um, And then Wendy Backlund, I really like some of her teaching too. Um, She said that God told her one day, I give you permission to be hopeless about anything I am hopeless about. Isn't that good? That's so good. Is God hopeless about anything? Never. Never. So with God, there's always hope. Okay, number four of how I can practically choose testimony is consume the word. The word is absolute truth and the very basis of testimony. It reveals God's heart for us and tells us what the Father is saying so that we can align with him, right? So you are invited into a wonderful living relationship with the word himself. He wants to intimately teach you and reveal revelation with you as you commune with him as friend with friend in his word. So you are invited into relationship with the word. So every Bible story is proof that God wants to do the impossible in your life. The Bible is testimony and is God of God's goodness. Number five of how to choose testimony is worship and the secret place. I felt like the Lord said just the other day that the battle is won in the secret place and in worship, because that is where we exalt God and see how truly big he is. People of testimony are people of the secret place of the word of worship and adoration and of sincere honor for his presence. So let's look at the life of Joshua just super fast. So Joshua was, was a man of the secret place and a true lover of the presence. So we see in Exodus 33, seven and 11. Um, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone of inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp there in that tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I love that. Joshua served Moses. And so when Moses would go in to speak to God, and you know that the the cloud would come down and speak to Moses, this was Old Testament. Just think about this picture, that Joshua never left that. He didn't want to leave that atmosphere of God's presence. He valued the presence. He valued the secret place. 
So this young man that, that valued the secret place grew up to be a great leader and a man of testimony. And we know uh, from Numbers 13, uh, chapter 13 and 14 that Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of the 12 uh, spies who returned from their exploration of the promised land with a good report. They chose testimony while the other 10 chose poverty. So that's a great, if you want to read through that sometime and just identify poverty and testimony there in chapters 13 and 14, there's a lot of it. There's a lot, there's a lot of it. Okay. So how do you get a testimony mindset? Look at Joshua's life. He was a young man who did not leave the tent. He was a true lover of God's presence. I believe Joshua's victory and heart of testimony was birthed in the secret place. Okay. Now let's talk about the power of testimony. We've already touched on that a little bit. Um, But this psalm that we read at the beginning, Psalm 113, I feel like uh, shows some really cool inner workings of the power of testimony. So let's read that verse. It says, Hallelujah. You who serve God, praise God. Just to speak his name is praise. Just to remember God is a blessing, now and tomorrow and always. From east to west, from dawn to dusk, keep lifting all your praises to God. God is higher than anything and anyone, outshining everything you, you can see in the skies. Who can compare with God, our God, so majestically enthroned, surveying his magnificent heavens and earth? He picked up the poor from out of the dirt, rescues the wretched who've been thrown out with the trash, seats them among the honored guests, a place of honor among the brightest and the best. He gives the childless couples a family, gives them joy as parents of children. Hallelujah. Okay, so these verses show us some of the inner workings of the power of testimony. And the first one is praise. Praise is a weapon and testimony inspires praise. So verse one said, hallelujah, you who serve God, praise God, just to speak his name is praise. Just to remember God is a blessing. Now and tomorrow and always, from east to west, from dawn to dusk, keep lifting all your praises to God. So this is a declaration of testimony. To remember God is to remember who he is, his wonderful character, his faithfulness, and what he's done. Just to speak his name is not only praise, it's testimony. Because his name declares who he is and what he's done. Praise keeps my heart focused on the king. And praise keeps my heart to the king. Uh, praise keeps my focus on God and his bigness. So remember in both of my stories, the Holy Spirit said, remember, remember what I've done. And so when we're faced with this choice of poverty and testimony, remember, remember who God is, what he's already done in your life, what you've seen and do in the lives of others and know he wants to do it again. Okay. The second um, part of the power of testimony is perspective. Testimony sets our perspective on the greatness of God. So the verses before he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, um, say how big and abundant God is. So verses four through six say, for the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is throned on high? He stoops down to look on heaven and on earth. So God is high above and he raises us to high places. So when we choose testimony, we're choosing to arise into that higher place to see how big he is. His testimony helps us to remember what he's done. When I think about what God's done, I think of, man, he's a big God. He's done amazing things. So perspective. Okay, and, and then lifting us to those higher places, the third part of the power of testimony is arise from the ashes and receive your crown. So it is not an accident that the phrase, you who serve God, praise God, is an introduction to this song. 
The result of praise and testimony is a focus on God, which positions us to see that he is not only able, he wants to lift the poor out of the dirt and he, to rescue the wretched from the trash. Not only does he pull you out of your situation and poverty mindset, he seats and establishes you among honored guests, putting you in a place of honor among the brightest and the best. This is a picture of the wonderful exchange. He gives us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A crown represents honor, esteem, and authority, and a victor's crown is a prize and the symbol of victory. Okay, so in conclusion, choosing testimony is an agreement with God's goodness. One of the greatest gifts of coming up out of poverty into testimony is realizing how truly good God is. He is a good, good father. He loves not only to meet our needs, but to lavish on us his precious daughters. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, For God our Father so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten Son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. So Daddy sent his Son to silence the accuser, to lift you up out of poverty and into his big, mighty, strong Daddy arm. We belong to him, and Daddy takes care of us. So, Daddy, I want to repent for being anyone but yours. If we arise out of a poverty mindset, we will have everything else, because it's all been provided for on the cross. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.